Uh, we're in a sermon series on how to finish well in life, how to race the race your whole life long and to finish well. So turn to the people next to you to the left and the right, front and behind, and say, till the end. Go ahead, go ahead. All right, now I feel the blood pumping. Let's make sure the brain juice is flowing too. So let me ask you a warm-up question. You know, as we race this race of life, there are any number of things we have to do well, right? There are lots of different things that, that we need to accomplish, lots of important and good things that we need to accomplish in life. So let me ask this question. What's one key thing that you can do to make sure that all the other important things get done well? You know what I mean? The key thing, the linchpin thing. What's one key thing that you can do to help make sure that all the other important things get done well? I will give you eight, eight seconds to think about it and be brilliant. One key thing that you can do to make sure that all the other important things get done well. Okay, what's your answer? Who's going? What's that? Sleep. Sleep, all right. <laughs> Gotta be, it's gotta be number one, man. If you don't take care of yourself, you, if you start falling apart at the center, right? Sure. Love others like you love yourself, one of Jesus' great summary commandments, right? And let's like boil it down, right? So that's a good one. Yeah. Delegate the unimportant things. Me, I'm going to do the important things. You're going to do the unimportant things. And that's how we're going to play this. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's a young mother, by the way. She's already figured it out. She's already figured it out. It's a sharp cookie. All right, what else? Have faith. Faith. You've got to keep your faith on in some way, shape, or form, right? You've got to be really good at that. Faith meaning courage, faith meaning trying. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Time with Jesus. Time with Jesus. Time with Jesus. Finally, a real Christian answer. <laughs> right. You know, spend time with God and, and uh, is that relationship fairly primary? Yeah. Good one. Who else? Yeah. Pray. Pray. Yeah. You spend time with Jesus. Prayer is a good way to do that. Uh, keep your uh, conversation with God vitalized. One or two more. You guys are doing great. Over here in the arts corner. Listen. Listen. When you pray, listen. Don't just talk. You know, listen to God talking. Uh, if God is talking and you're not listening, that's rude. Yeah, good one. Uh, one more. Who's got the best answer? What is it, Al? The man who assaulted me last Sunday. <laughs> Start what you finish. Yeah. There are all sorts of cool little proverbs that go, that go with that. You know, start with the end in mind. Like, you know, when you start, know that you're finishing. And just having that mentality, um, you know, so important to cultivate that philosophy and everything that goes with it. These are all great answers. I will share with you my answer uh, in a few minutes as we go through the, the, the sermon. Um, I remember back when I first understood Jesus, you know, when I, when I first, first understood a uh, life of faith. Um, I, and I was very young, you know. I remember sitting by myself when I was uh, like, you know, four and a half, five years old and, and just 
just figuring it out because I didn't have a church family per se. I'd been introduced to Jesus. Hey, buddy, less, less gain and a little more volume to get rid of that ring. One of our youth group, learning the soundboard. They're everywhere, these youth. That one is familiar to me. Um, so I had to kind of figure it out, well, how does this work? You know, like Jesus, you know, God, salvation and stuff like that. And when I, when I first kind of felt like I understood it, I first understood Jesus and I first understood the life of faith, the next revelation I had was that not everyone around me understood Jesus and the life of faith. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like, oh, Jesus, yes. Oh, no one else gets this. And what I meant was like, it seemed like no one else in my world got this. Because when you're a kid, your world is very small, right? So I didn't have uh, uh, believers in my family. I didn't have churchgoers in my immediate family. And uh, we were moving around the country a lot. I didn't have consistent friends or anything like that. Like, and, and we lived kind of on the margins of society for a while because my family was in trouble with the law. That's a long story. Um, but everybody in my world seemed a little darkened spiritually, you know. And that might have been how I said it even when I was five years old. Um, so I felt alien immediately uh, when I was a kid. Uh, and I remember one of the first strong images I had of Jesus was that image of him uh, being the shepherd who left the 99 to chase the one. Do you know that story? Jesus tells a parable a couple of different times in the Gospels. Uh, Matthew 18, I think it is, and Luke 15, I believe. Uh, once he tells the parable in response to people who were disparaging children. You know, children, they're such a nuisance. And, and Jesus said, ah, well, let me tell you a story. The kingdom of God is kind of like this. Uh, what shepherd who has a hundred sheep won't leave 99 to go chase the one who has strayed? You know, it's a great parable for Mother's Day. You know, if, if you are a mother and one of your children has strayed into trouble, you know, his or her life is not working. Like, you might have seven other kids, <laughs> but you're just sort of obsessed with the one who's off in trouble, who has become vulnerable, Right. And Jesus is saying, God's the same way with his children. Um, another time he tells the parable, he's speaking to Pharisees who are just kind of being judgmental. You know, it's like, why do you hang out with unrighteous people, Jesus? And your disciples are always hanging out with the messy crowd and giving the wrong impression to people that sin is okay. And Jesus responds by telling the parable. It says, well, imagine a shepherd who has 99 sheep and one of them strays. The shepherd will leave the 99 healthy, safe sheep to go chase down the one sheep that has strayed. And when he finds that sheep and brings it back, he'll throw a party. You know, and in the same way, there's more celebration for one sinner who repents in heaven than there are for 99 people who have no need of repentance. And Jesus is sort of communicating this parental perspective that you know, you're always obsessed with the person who has not come into safety yet who has not come into faith. And uh, there was a picture in my uh, living Bible, my children's Bible, when I was a kid, right next to that parable in Luke 15 of Jesus holding the one lamb who had gotten away. You know? and, and that really uh, shaped me 
I had nightmares when I was a kid because neither my dad nor my grandmother, who was, they were my family, my whole family at the time, was really a, a believer. And they would say, well, it's good that you believe. You know, when Jesus comes back, he'll take you. And it just terrified me, you know, because they were my, my whole world. I never once, from day one of my relationship with Jesus, experienced faith apart from the need to spread faith. Does that make sense? And I'm just telling you my story. I don't know what your story was like. You might have grown up in different circumstances. In fact, I'm almost certain you grew up in circumstances different than I did. Um, uh, but I think that Jesus would encourage that in me. Maybe he did encourage it in me as a child, and he would encourage something of it in all of us. Uh, he's constantly obsessed with the one who isn't quite gathered into the fold yet. Right? The most important person in the church, I say this often, is the person who has just walked in the door for the first time. You know, everything should be built around that person. Jesus says that that person has, uh, you know, 99 to 1 importance. <laughs> um, they're the ones that should be emphasized. And so we see this all over the Gospels, you know. Jesus constantly ordering his guys to go be witnesses, right? Uh, Mark 6, Matthew 10, Luke 10, he sends them out without him. So your job is to be sent out. Your job is to be witnesses. So go preach the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, etc., freely you've received, so freely give. If you've received anything from God, your job is to give it uh, freely, which is to say completely and wildly. Yes. Um, when he's leaving his disciples for the last time uh, in Acts chapter 1, he says, look, you know, hang out in Jerusalem, wait till the gift of my Father promised, for in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The power that God gives you is to be witnesses out there, not in here. And Jesus was saying that all the time. All these parables he says about harvesting, about gathering in, you know, including the pray to the God of the harvest to raise up workers for the harvest. You know, it's all over the place. So obviously that's a really, really big priority. And we just finished a sermon series on evangelism. Connor just preached a sermon on the power of invitation, etc. Like that has been pounded in. But this is a sermon series about how to finish well, how to stay at things lifelong. Um, and uh, last week we talked about what that means. We broke it down. How, finishing well in life means uh, to stick with ministry unceasingly all of your days, that's the measure, uh, so that you get into eternity, you get eternal life, which is a fairly big reward, and so that you have heavenly wealth when you get there, uh, which Jesus talks about uh, quite a bit. Uh, so you don't want to scrape in. We talked last week about how life is... Uh, well understood as a race, a race for prizes, as Paul puts it. Um, and everyone is a competitor. Everyone is involved. This is an all play. So turn to the person next to you and say, oh, you're in. We're in. Meaning you're involved. You don't get to sit this one out. You don't get to sit this one out. It's an all play. And this week we're talking about specific things that you can do to empower your stick to right? The key thing that you can do to make sure that all the other things get done well. That's what we're talking about this week. 
because obviously we've stuff to get done. Uh, I just thought I'd read what at Blue Water is a very familiar parable about the importance of getting stuff done in life and uh, the spirit of try, as we like to say at Blue Water. So we'll take a look at Matthew 25, which is the parable of the bags of gold. Some of your translations will say it's the parable of the talent. In Luke, there's a version of this in which uh, they call the parable of the minas, which is just a different measure for money. A talent was about 20 years worth of salary uh, for a working man in Jesus' day. Um, So we'll read 14 through 30 or so out of Matthew 25. And Jesus is talking about what life in the kingdom of heaven on earth is like. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Spoiler alert, we're the servants and Jesus is the master who travels. Our God is the master who travels, right? right. To one servant, he gave um, five uh, talents of money. It's a lot of money. Uh, to another two talents, and to another one talent. So these are gobs of money, millions of dollars in one case, uh, each according to his ability, five, two, and one according to the servant's ability to use it. Um, you get as much as you'll use well, in other words. Uh, then he went on his journey. Uh, The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Uh, So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money, which is not a great investment technique. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. There's always a settling. There's always a reckoning. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Sharing, reward, joy. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. He gets uh, promoted and rewarded as well. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. Dun, dun, dun. One of our blue water sayings, fear is the start of every bad thing. You are allowed to be afraid of God and no other thing in the universe, and God loves you. So, moderates that quite a bit. I was afraid. I was afraid of you being harsh with me. So I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. You gave it to me. I kept it, but did not use it. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You should have made some effort. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. So we're going to take from the poor and give to the rich. That's the way of Jesus in the kingdom. More on that in a second. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. 
and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We had a great time in my Ohana group trying to figure out what gnashing of teeth was. So everybody, gnash your teeth. Let me see what... That is not a good look for the church. Not, not, a, not a happy thing. Not a happy thing. So that's a pretty familiar parable. We go through that you know, every few years at Blue Water. Uh, we've done that parable. It's such a great parable because I think it's a parable about trying right? Trying. What keeps you from trying? Like, you get judged in the end about whether or not you try with what God uh, gives you. And uh, failure is never talked about in this parable. Only trying and not trying, (laughs) right? Um, And that's how it is with the gifts and the talents and the resources that God gives you. Like, if you are a gifted teacher and you teach and fail at teaching, your teaching ability still grows, Right? You always get multiplication every time you use stuff that God gives you. So we've meditated on uh, that stuff uh, before. And, uh, and I often teach the parable uh, in that way. Um, but secondly, this is a parable about very consequential reckoning. Amen. You know, and there's that end in the parable that's really uncomfortable. And I think Jesus intends for it to be uh, motivational. There is a judgment, right? There is a settling of accounts when the master comes back. Hopefully I don't have to unpack that for you too much. And, uh, and then we get rewarded according to whether or not we used aggressively what God gave us. And we get punished for not using it. A lot of times, you know, judgment is taught as punishment for sin. But when Jesus talks about it, he specifically tends to describe it as punishment for not trying. Right? So it's a little, it's a little different. It's like you don't get judged based on your sin. You get judged based on your lack of faith. Which is sinful, I guess you could say. But you see the difference? Right? What, what the master is really interested in is whether or not you stick with it. Whether or not you try every day in the kingdom way. You know? And it's not how wretched you are. It's you know, whether or not you're trying to produce well. Whether or not you're sticking with it. And, you know, and we know that if you do that, if you run the race, then you tend to be less and less wretched over time because you get rid of every sin that so easily entangles us and that sort of thing. We've done lots of teachings on that. But we're rewarding according to whether or not we're fruitful uh, in in trying and using what the Lord has given us and punished for not trying. So, obviously, the question is, how do we stick to it, right? What, uh, we should be obsessed with this. You know, how how do we... know that we're trying according to what we have, you know? And this parable gives a little warning uh, to us all that if you don't try with what you have, you'll lose it, right? In this parable, God will take it from you and give it to the person who tries a ton, who tries a lot. And that's the ability that the parable is talking about. Use it or lose it, right? It's the ultimate use it or lose it scenario. Only this scenario speaks to all of life. (laughs) Are you using your life appropriately? 
Because if you're not, you will lose your life progressively until at the end, it's just weeping and gnashing of teeth. Until the end, the one emotion you'll have left is regret. And that will suck. Just turn to the person next to you and be like, go ahead, go ahead. We don't do, we don't do hellfire brimstone sermons, but we do sermons. So, so it's kind of a scary parable that way, you know, and hopefully it's very motivational because uh, like, you want to avoid punishment. But there's also a very positive image here, right? Use everything. Amen. And if you use everything, then you'll get more to use. <laughs> so you'll, your game will have to up and up and up until you just live one of those crazy blue water lives. That's why we call ourselves a blue water mission. All right, so how to be fruitful. Produce fruit in keeping with your righteousness, in keeping with your rightness. Uh, there are lots of ways to produce well in life. There are lots of ways to produce fruit in life, right? Lots of different things that you could do. Um, we talk about how the kingdom of heaven on earth is like the order of heaven on earth. And what we are called to do as agents of Christ on the planet is to spread the order of heaven on earth, you know? So there are no sick people in heaven. So those of us who spread the order of heaven on earth, we heal sick people. Right? Sometimes we do it supernaturally and miraculously. Sometimes we do it by, I don't know, feeding them nutritious food or giving them medical care and stuff like that. There are no demons oppressing people in heaven. So when we encounter people who are spiritually oppressed on earth, we cast out the demons and revitalize them spiritually. We do that. Uh, there is no injustice in heaven, right? There's no poverty in heaven. So those of us who manifest the order of heaven on earth, we bring provision uh, to the poor, those who need it. Sometimes we have to do that supernaturally, like in the miracle of the loaves and fishes, right? We take the little we have and it miraculously uh, multiplies. Uh, sometimes we do it just by being really generous, you know, by being anti-materialistic and radically generous, which is one of the big four distinctives of our church, we try to say. Um, so we try to write injustice and sort of spread justice and and uh, you know fairness in the world, that sort of thing. Um, lots of different ways that we can spread the order of heaven on earth. But what's the key way, right? Of all the things that we could do, um, what is the key? What's the one thing that you can do to make sure that everything stays fruitful, that your trying stays fresh for each year of your life? What's the one activity that will really keep you moving, that will give you momentum and stick to So here's my best tip for you. And um, I don't do this very often, but I want to underscore and say, you should probably listen to me on this one. <laughs> because I'm older than you are, most of you. Uh, I've been doing this a long time in lots of different conditions of life, overcoming lots of obstacles, going through lots of seasons, lots and lots of valleys and very few mountaintops. Um, so this is a, a golden piece of advice uh, from a fellow traveler who has taken a lot of shots and kept at it, right? And one thing I'm good at in life is just the keeping at it. Um, that's about it for me. Um, so I just wanted to underscore that because I know you don't listen to me generally, but maybe this time, <laughs> Maybe this, this is, I think this is a particularly good tip. 
What's one thing that you can do to make sure that everything stays fruitful for you each and every year of your life? Here it is. Always be trying to gather into the kingdom a specific individual or two. Amen. Always. Always have some individual in your life that you're trying to gather into faith, that you're trying to gather into Jesus. Always. A specific person. Right? I'm not talking about my heart for the lost. I'm talking about the guy I'm hanging out with every week to try and, you know, pull them into faith. That's the key. Or, to use a great word, always be proselytizing someone. Do you know that word? Proselytizing? Right? That's the word that, uh, like, universities use to make sure that Christians feel guilty. Proselytizing, you know, because proselytizing is bad. Evangelism sounds a little bit better, but has gotten a really bad reputation. But that's what I'm talking about. I'm a proselytizer. I'm a proud proselytizer. Um, because I love people, and I do it lovingly, and always be trying to proselytize, always be trying to evangelize, always be trying to gather in, always be trying to convert there's a word that has become disreputable in our culture. And, and, and you know that it's countercultural because culture is coming up with all these nasty words to make you feel guilty. The world doesn't want you to do this. If you must be a Christian, the world wants you to be off on your own island, not having an effect on anyone. Um, so always be trying to gather in a specific friend or two in addition to all the other missions that you do in life, in addition to all the other ways that you spread the order of heaven on earth. But if you spread the order in every other way but fail to gather people into faith, you'll lose it. Right? And that's not the law. That's just me speaking truism and practical advice to you. When you drop out of evangelism, everything else in your Christian walk tends to deteriorate. And in our current cultural conditions, it has never been more true. So who is your one stray sheep? Who is the one? Here we have 99, but who's your one? Who's the person who needs to be here who's not here? And what are you doing to gather that person in? So to speak, right? You know what I mean? That they have to come be part of Blue Water, but you're following me. You're following me. Um, because that's uh, super important. Jesus says, you know, it's got 99 to 1 importance. Um, but it's important in other ways, too. Here, here's my reasoning for saying that. Why you need to be gathering one. If, if you want to finish well, then every week of your life you need to be trying to gather someone in. Here's why, here's why I say that. One, gathering children back into the family is paramount to God as is the case with every parent, right? And Jesus explained that. We've already gone through uh, a couple of his teachings along the way. So that's obvious. Two, if you're always trying to gather in a specific individual, then everything else about your spiritual life will stay fresh and real, which is a very bold claim for me to make. Um, but again, you know, this is a fellow traveler talking. Um, I think it's, this, is, this is real. Now, if, if, you're, uh, if you're cynical like me, 
you think of these famous tele-evangelists whose whole life evidently was about gathering into the fold, right? And then what happens to tele-evangelists? Well, we know what happens to tele-evangelists. Pretty soon there's an expose on TV about how sinful their life really is, right? But those are people who are trying to evangelize crowds for a living. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you inviting one friend, gathering one friend, right? So if those tele-evangelists in their personal life had one or two people they actually loved and they were trying to gather into the family of faith, their life, I think, would have probably turned out differently. That's, that's what I'm suggesting. This is not black and white. This is not ironclad. But this is the best advice that, that I have. The one sheep. The one sheep. Um, but if, if you're doing that, if you're trying to gather in one person, then everything else in your spiritual life will tend, at least, to stay fresh and real. Why? Well, because you will be actively loving regularly. You will be loving because, you know, you're making a friend and hopefully you're making a brother or a sister and, um, and you're being intentional, right? All these things that make love live. So that's one thing. Um, you'll also uh, tend to show up and attend uh, gatherings and ministry functions, right? So just to use a simplistic example, if you're trying to gather, one, gather someone into the family of faith, uh, church, then you will tend to show up at church because somebody's got to bring them, right? And it will probably be you. You're not going to say, hey, check out that Blue Water Church. Me, I'm watching the game, but you should go. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm being simplistic, but, but you're following me, right? It's sort of, it, it reminds you that showing up is important, right? Uh, because there needs to be a place. There needs to be a fold, and so you will tend to, to, to gather in that way. Um, it will probably make you pray, you know, uh, because you'll want to be seeking the Lord because evangelism is super hard to do. And, and it involves all of your other gifts. You know, it will keep everything sharp, you know. Um, some sports are better than others at keeping you fit. Right? So, uh, until recently, I was a distance running coach at a local high school uh, because my kids were into distance running. Um, and just to participate in that, I had to stay really physically fit. And then my daughter graduated, went off to college where she has a new coach, so I quit as fast as I could. Um, um, but gathering, is a sport that requires you to keep yourself fit, right? Otherwise, you'll find that you can't do it very long. Uh, so there's that. And then finally, as we mentioned in passing, there is nothing more countercultural than evangelism, than trying to make someone believe in Jesus when they don't. And 100% of world culture tells you that you are wrong for doing it, right? At best, you're arrogant. You're disrespectful, you're intolerant, you're unloving, you're oppressive, you're all of these things, none of which are actually true, right? And I can back that up historically. Um, but if you want to be countercultural, if you want to stay free from 
dominant world culture, evangelize someone. It will make you feel alien. It will make you feel alien, which is the first lesson I ever learned about the Christian life. And you want to feel alien, you know? You want, not lonely, but alien. That's how you want to feel. Uh, and, and then, you know, thirdly, uh, just to kind of put a point on it, sorry for mentioning it, but if you don't gather people in, everything else tends to get stale. And you will probably regret it on the day of reckoning. I only mention that because Jesus tended to emphasize it, you know, and so that's kind of a big deal. I mean, imagine, you know, like if... Uh, you know, someone in your family had watered off into a vulnerable uh, situation and you just like didn't care. You know, and God's up there trying to get, you know, someone to, uh, to care. Uh, like you might not, you might fail at your rescue mission, but, um, but the faith is in, in the trying. Um, if you are not trying to gather people into faith then, and you are doing other ministry, what you will find is that after a while it will feel kind of like you're spinning your wheels. Like you've already done all this before. The shine will wear off and you'll start to get a case of the blahs. Uh, and this is my main reason. Because I've been in ministry hard uh, since I was a kid. And this is the only way it stays fresh for me. Right? This is the only revitalization that I get. Oh, you know, this makes me feel fit and fresh. There you go. So this is me, a veteran, a grizzled veter veteran giving you a golden tip. And I have a question from, because uh, it's Mother's Day, I'll let you ask it. Parenting is rewarding and makes you a better person. And this is basically parenting, right? Uh, a, la, a la the Matthew 18 version of the parable of the straying sheep. It's like, yeah, think, think of the world as children. And if a child strays, society stops, right? You get an amber alert. And it makes you, yeah, it makes you better as a person. It provokes in you all sorts of good things. Parenting makes you a better person, true or false, moms? I see children kissing mothers, and it's like, yeah, we know. Yeah, that's why. That's essentially it. It's my Mother's Day sermon. There you go. That's all I got to say. That's my practical tip. If you want to stick with it, uh, always have a specific person or two that you're gathering in. Uh, uh, right now, um, do you have a specific person or two that you're trying to gather into the safe fold of faith? Yeah. Or do you not have a specific person or two? I'm talking about a specific person. So that's just a great uh, personal survey for us because I really want to make it to the end. Um, and I really want a lot of heavenly wealth when I get there. And I want that for you guys as well. Um, because you know what would suck? Starting this and then hitting the wall and then spinning off after all of this sacrifice after all of the courage that we have shown, uh, that, would, that would stink. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
So, Father, I pray um, that um, I thank you for our, our flock, uh, for our congregation. Uh, but we pray, Lord, for all those who are still straying and have wandered into unsafe places where they are preyed upon by all of the lies and all of the dark spirits and all of the uh, oppression that is out there. And um, we know that your word in us will not return uh, empty. And we commit ourselves, Lord, to be uh, those who try to gather. Um, he who wins souls is wise, uh, the scripture tells us. And I pray that you would raise up to be children who bring in many children. In Christ's name, amen.